this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Julius Hunter. He is a former journalist and television news anchor, best known for his tenures on two St. Louis stations, now called KSDK and KMOV. He has interviewed many celebrities and political figures over the years and is an author. His latest book is titled, what is it? It's Professor Julius K. Hunter's Stuff You Never Knew About St. Louis History. I love it. So I love this book. It is so much fun. It is so much fun. And I did not know all this stuff about St. Louis that you share in there. Well, there are 309 little tidbits, morsels, juicy, tender <laughs> morsels. And I tell people if they're looking for a heavy-duty, heavy read, this is not it. Because of the the substantial books that I've written, I mean, about Portland and Westmoreland places and Kingsbury Place, I wrote a college textbook on broadcast news, among other things. I wrote a novel about... Uh, two uh, African-American women who were born into enslavement but eventually became millionaire uh, bordello madams here in but St. Louis. But that's based on, on a true story. It's a true story. Yeah, yeah. which uh, is, and we're, and I, I got to, um, I got to see you speak right. at the Webster Groves Library. Right. Where was, where did, where was their bordello? Their bordello is, was the exact entrance of the baseball stadium today on 6th Street. I'm telling you, it is, there are two mansions. They they bought old mansions during the Victorian era, and they became two millionaires. That's awesome. Yeah, and so I, I've written the heavy-duty stuff, and because of COVID and the fact that uh, so many people are so depressed, and I, I'm so concerned about my four beautiful grandchildren and what this whole COVID era might have done for them. And so I thought that people might need to have a, a little lighthearted stuff. And so I compacted it into a book that's called Professor Julius K. Hunter's <laughs> Stuff You Never Knew About St. Louis History. And there are 309 juicy little tidbits about history that we just might not have learned in school. For example, uh, I know you know now, I wonder, Mish, if you knew before that St. Louis had the first gasoline service station uh, in in the country, and that our uh, police department in St. Louis was the first police department in the nation to use fingerprinting as a crime-fighting technique. Which is so interesting. No, I don't know this. I mean, right. you know, like, right, I, never, I did not know. There were so many things in the book. I was like, dang, that is crazy. Crazy. You said interesting. dang. I said dang. Dang. I said okay. dang. dang. That was crazy dang. interesting. That's exactly what I said. Ask dang. my dog and wow. cat. They heard me. <laughs> yes. Dang. I love it. I, in fact, I, I think the governor of Missouri said at the beginning of COVID period, I'm not wearing a dang mask. Well, there must be uh, something going among people. Dang. Dang it. It's, it's making a comeback. Hashtag oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what is this? Who was the singer who sang "Dang Me, Dang Me"? You gotta get a rope and hang me high by uh, <laughs> high oak tree. Da, 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 da. I do not know this it's song. It's called "Dang Me." Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> I will look it up. All right. All right. <laughs> so, I, but I love. I mean, so yes, I feel like this book is something that every St. Louisan or former St. Louisan or to be St. Louisan should get 
because it has so much great information about things. You will see the city in a new light. Well, what I what I was also trying to do, Mish, is uh, uplift certain demographic groups that might be forgotten. Right off the bat, I let people know that of the founders of St. Louis, and everybody almost knows Pierre Laclede and Auguste Choteau, um, that one of those two guys was a teenager. Which is so wild to me. Wouldn't that really uplift kids if they knew that Auguste Chuteau, who was put in charge of the first construction crew in St. Louis back in, in 1764, 65, that kid was 14 years old, 30 construction people. The old man came up with him from New Orleans right. and said, hey, this looks like this is going to be, hey, this could be a nice place to settle down. I can see an arch here someday. <laughs> I can see a Ferris wheel. Now. Uh, but the old man said to him, I'm not going to stay here in St. Louis right now. I, mean, I heard they have cold weather up in this area. Let's call it St. Louis. And I'm going back to New Orleans. Kid, you're in charge of the construction crew. 30 men. 14. At age 14. That's crazy. Yeah, and also uh, am about uh, uplifting uh, African-Americans who in particular have been left out of the history books. I'm a product of the St. Louis public school system from grade school to high school through college. I'm a graduate of Harris Teachers College. And um, we, for some reason— even back then, and I'm sure you didn't. If did you go to school here? Yes, I went to St. Thomas Aquinas, which is no longer there. Right, it's now a different. I don't. Right. I don't. I forget what it's called now, but it's. No I don't think there. a single history book I had. I went to Cole Elementary School, Sumner High School, and then Harris Teachers College. Where I don't think I saw the word slavery mentioned once, not once. It wasn't mentioned. It was just left out. There was some big gap. And I do hear that the governor of Texas uh, today, Governor Abbott and Costello, Governor Abbott uh, wants to call uh, slavery involuntary relocation. You know, language is a very strong, language can do a lot. And and it worries me when people start messing with language mm. to, to, to. Euphemism. It, 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 why are we doing this? Why? Well, it's because, I mean, if the United States, and I'm, yeah, I, I'm not on a, on a, you know, white horse with a sword and a flag or something about how this nation evolved, if we somehow wonder I mean, it's a wonderful country. It's the only place I would ever want to live. America the beautiful. I love it. But if we stop to think about how this country got started, I'm so glad that my grandchildren in Boston, they've stopped teaching them about this fictitious Thanksgiving dinner where the Indians brought where the Indians dinner. Right, yeah, we're all, oh, we're all so happy to hang oh, out here. And yeah. Christopher Columbus. And all that yeah, kind oh, of I thing. know. I'm with you. So I'm with that's, you. That's all out in, in the Boston school system. I, I love that. And my whole family, I have four lovely grandchildren. Uh, and uh, with my two daughters and their husbands and all, we went and spent a day at the Wampanoag uh, Indian uh, Native American village where these people from Europe first got off the boat, you know, and nearly starved to death. Mm -hmm. There was no turkey and all that stuff. But the Native Americans kept them alive only to be turned on. Look at what Europeans did to the Aztecs and right. the Toltecs right. and all of those Native— and 
I don't know how many people know that they didn't really kill them with swords and all that kind of disease that was brought. Because they brought, brought the diseases over. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that absolutely wiped out populations. And look at the, the, the Mexicans and the Chinese and all have been that manifest destiny that uh, was was thrown out there as, well, we God wants us to take over this country. And right, we're, we're here to save everybody. Yeah, and then in 1830, you know, when all of the Native Americans were forced um, down into the Oklahoma Territory from wherever they were, you know, we can we can give thanks to uh, Andrew Jackson, President Jackson, for doing that 1830 thing. Bad. So. Don't I? I have to say I really love and I want to celebrate that. I feel like there's so much history that is now being talked about that right. has been hidden from us for so long. Right. Really important history. Mm. Um, and does that do your heart good? To it see does. It now, for finally example, coming out. Yeah. In in fact, in Professor Julius K. Hunter stuff, you never knew about St. Louis history. <laughs> I, I think that's. I don't know how many people would ever believe it's not a huge thing. But uh, we, the old cathedral, we all love it. I mean, it's just a, a wonderful part of, of the city heritage. Right. But when it was topped out in 1854, they couldn't find a construction worker who wanted to climb up the rickety wooden scaffolding to put the top stone on. But there was a black guy, an African-American guy named William Johnson from Alton, Illinois, in 1854, that scampered up that scaffolding and put the topstone on the old cathedral. Bishop Rosati, that name will mean a lot to St. Louis, right. as Rosati Kane. And, right. But Bishop Rosati in 1854 rewarded William Johnson of Alton, a black guy, uh, a, a $5 gold piece, which today, Mish, in our money today would be $670. Nice. For that, yeah. And then one other hero, uh, a, a female hero that people just don't know about, and that is uh, Elizabeth Hobbs Keckley is her name. She was born into enslavement here in St. Louis. Uh, her masters allowed her to do seamstry on the side to make a little extra money, and she was able to save up enough money to buy her freedom. And uh, she was lo loaned a little money by some women that she sewed for. And so she put together enough to buy her family's freedom. She moved to Washington, D.C., where Elizabeth Hobbs Keckley became the chief dressmaker for Mary Todd Lincoln. Really? But also for Mrs. Jefferson Davis. She made their ball gowns from St. Louis. Who would have known? I didn't know until you told me. Now, you'd find that in that little book, right? <laughs> Which I won't name anymore. I won't, I won't name it anymore. I, won't, I promise not to name it every time we mention it. But, uh, yeah, those and, – and also, I like to poke fun at some of the conventions of the time. In Victorian St. Louis, women were not expected to do any exercise. That was just not done by women. Not ladylike. Not, not unladylike <laughs> in the Victorian era. But there were uh, a couple of uh, three women who got together and they formed a tricycle riding club. Now, not like kids' tricycle. These were big tricycles. It's a great big one. Big ones yeah, for, gotcha. for uh, adults. And they were seen riding all over basically South St. Louis and just 
creating a big scandal. These women were riding bicycles. How dare them exercise? How dare they do that? For goodness sakes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, um, you know, St. Louis uh, has had its conventions that that uh, would help people back. But, you know, let's hope we're breaking out of all those today. I'm with you. So, I mean, you you have been a big person in St. Louis for a long time, seeing a lot of things. What what are you seeing right now that makes you happy about St. Louis? I, I like downtown. It seems like every if I come down here every other week, there's something new yes. in downtown St. Louis. Yes. And, um, you know, I just, I would, living where I live, I, you know, it's not terribly far, but I, I, I'm astounded by what's downtown St. Louis uh, is. I used to own a restaurant in downtown St. Louis. I was a forerunner uh, restaurant owner. Jay Hunters, I would have named it after you, but I didn't know you then. <laughs> but Jay Hunters was at 7th and Market Streets in the mid to late uh I was going to say 1880s, not 1980s. <laughs> My goodness. It was a, it You're was, looking good. It was the, let me fall over here. Uh, at 7th and Market Streets, we specialized in Creole Cajun foods ahead of our time. And uh, it was a real bust, I must tell you. Restaurant businesses are hard. It's wrong. I, and I, I have to tell you that. I learned after I'd opened it, uh, Better Business Bureau says that uh, 93% of restaurants fail in their first year. It's a very, it's it's a thing a lot of people think that, you know, I can do this and mm-hmm. it's so much it. more than people you know. You can't do it. Um, and I had uh, on staff, I had between 30 and 40 people. So it was a big restaurant. Over, it was too big. But I learned that whole culture of, of the servers was really an interesting one to study. I mean, I think some of them thought that they could boost their salaries and the fact that they were, you know, paid mostly in tips by stealing. But we won't go into that. Oh, but, that's uh, not good. <laughs> not good, no. But um, I learned that I had to put a buzzer on the back door to keep, you know, that kind of thing. And I also, I had, if I had to advise someone on opening a restaurant, I would say, don't do it. <laughs> Put it in something. Put it in a nice studio like we're in here at Shock City Podcast Studios. It's a yes. Restaurant business is a tough one. There's yeah. a lot of Do people something that else are, with the money. you know. Well, I mean, and and I think you know, there's people that that have done it for a long time, and they right. they get it, and right. they open up one restaurant after right. another, and right. it's like the, they really understand how. And to I love do it, it when the kids come in and the grandkids come in, like with the Charlie Gito group. That's you know some of my friends, and I don't know what generation they are on right now. Right. Right. But yeah, I Cheetos. mean if if they can figure it out, right. Go. But I could for not most figure people, it out. Whew, it's a tough one. One of my best waiters, uh and this if I write a book about this, his excuse for not showing up for work is gonna be the title of my book. <laughs> He's a great, great server. I can't say waiter anymore, great server. But he could not come to work for more than five or six days before not just showing up at one time. And his excuse that he got on a busy Friday night when he didn't show up. And my manager reached him by phone. His excuse he gave will be my book title. And it was, I had a stroke, but I'll be in on Monday. Oh, all right. <laughs> From Friday night, you know. So, uh, I don't know, I learned. 
<laughs> I don't want to take us down. I don't want to take us down. Let's go up again. Let's, Let's talk back again. about Great St. Louis. Yeah. So, you know, right now uh, in downtown St. Louis, there's a lot of cranes. You've seen a lot of cranes. Right. And so there's lots of building going on. We've right. got the soccer stadium. Right. Um, and we, I love the fact that um, that the Taylor women are in charge of that. Yes. Andy Taylor of uh, of Enterprise Leasing and Barbara Taylor are good friends of mine. Our kids went to school together at Burroughs. And I just like the fact that the Taylor family with their enterprises put that uh, that whole soccer thing to the women in the family, Barbara yes. and the, the other women. Amazing. Yeah, and, the, and then the the um there's also a nod to the children of Mill Creek. Oh yeah, yeah. With Damon Davis did a sculpture there, right? And Vivian Gibson um, was one of our TEDx speakers. She actually wrote about mm-hmm. Mill Creek. Mill Creek. I, and I so there's another piece of history that a lot of people didn't know about. Right. Well, Mayor Raymond Tucker was the mayor who basically said, "All right, let's clear this area out without a plan." Right. And, and they so, called it slums. That's and it correct. was home. It was a home to people. My goodness, yes, Harris. Teachers College was right there, and there was a photography shop that was right there. All of that stuff, except Harris, so got wiped out, and all of the people forced west with no place to, you know, basically house them. It was, right. But we're kind of through that now. Yes. Let's and be nicer to our residents. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Well, I have some fun questions for you. Are you ready? Uh, I am. Uh, how much time do I have to answer? Can I? Call for a lifeline. I got my <laughs> my friend uh, Scott Smith is over there in the corner. I might have to flag him down. All right, or Scott, we'll let you know if we we need your input. <laughs> All right, I want you to tell us about Honey Island, Mississippi. Honey Island, Mississippi was co-founded by my great great grandfather Ned Rounds, who was born into enslavement in 1825 Kentucky, but he managed to upon emancipation, um, established a little town in Mississippi uh, between Yazoo City and Belzona called Honey Island. It was was an all-black town, but they eventually grew and and prospered. He had 370 acres of land there in Mississippi after being born in Kentucky. Um, And they had their own cotton gin there. And if people don't believe me that how prosperous my ancestors were with this post-Civil War period, uh, post-emancipation, they were able to open their own post office in 1907. Really? They got an official post office in Honey Island. They had, as as I said, their own cotton gin. And that's where uh, my folks uh, sprang from, from the Mississippi side. And they all made the move up uh, in uh, after heavy flooding in that area, Yazoo City, the Yazoo River and the Mississippi River, uh, one one of the black guys from that area was supplying a fish company in St. Louis called Maledios, which was one of the nation's biggest fish companies, and a lot of the fish came from around the Honey Island area up the Mississippi. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So when I, I loved this, I did not know that you wrote a book for children that had to deal with the alphabet, and I was cracking up about. So, what is your favorite letter? Oh, you know something I, I like. <laughs> I, you can almost give me a letter, and I like it. I mean, like L, for example. I know that children have difficulty with the letter L. Okay. And so I wrote the verses, and every verse in there is a, an alliteration of the of the letter sound. 
Like Lee lost Larry's little links. He lost it near the lawn, he thinks. Lee looks so hard, he seldom blinks. Let's hope he finds the missing links. <laughs> do you know every single one of them in your book? Oh, do you, I, probably you... <laughs> do, I probably do. Uh, I know another one's two turtle. Two uh, touring turtles took the train to Texarkana in the rain. The turtles took the tough terrain. Next time they'll take an aeroplane. I love it. Yeah. I mean, and it's fun because it's the kind of book that it, it that can that book is forever. Yes, and it's giant gawking great giraffe. <laughs> Why fear the gentle gerbil? Just glimpse the rodent's photograph, and you will feel just terrible. I love it, Julius K. Hunter. That's good stuff. Yes, Mish, middle name <laughs> Hancock. What is your middle name? My middle name is Helen. Helen. After my grandma. Okay. Very cool, right? Is that Michelle Helen so, Yeah, so I am Michelle, but my parents always called me Mish, mm-hmm. so that's And that's you notice how I, I just— Turn the interview around where I'm interviewing you. See, see how like, deftly how I did his, that? How does he do that? You see how deftly I am now the interviewer and you are the interviewee. Watch what me. What do you want to ask me? Watch me. <laughs> Watch me very closely. <laughs> no, but that be you've had years of experience and interviewing that, people. That alphabet book, for example, was introduced at Powell Symphony Hall when it came out in 1976, I do believe, by Leonard Slatkin doing some... Um, some improvisational music on a synthesizer, uh, and it was done at a kitty concert. David Hartman of ABC News at the time did the narration. My little girls uh, were able to invite all of their friends to an introduction of absurd alphabet time stories at oh, Powell Symphony Hall. Yeah, Such and it's been history. used by it's been used by speech pathologists, by typing teachers, adult education folks. It's been set to music. To dance, and I never knew uh, that we had it reprinted, and you can probably find it somewhere online (laughs) for like a dollar and a half. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll bring it back. Oh, well, let's do. Okay, I like it. I mean, I I just I thought it was an adorable. It was just fun to learn about that particular book, and it it's just got to be fun to say. Peasing an aardvark's appetite, you know, <laughs> could keep you busy day and night. I mean, we, you know, we could go on and on. Fearless foxes fit for fun. And I, emu, here's one that's silly. Right, this go. will make you laugh. Okay. Emus eagerly embrace when hemus greet the shemus. <laughs> and when they wed and find a place, the two mews soon are three mews. Now, that one, the, the people had a little bit of an issue with, didn't they? Yes, it was Christian Board of Publications. They were like, credit. ooh, mm. So I said, oh, you got emus, uh, you know, hooking up and stuff. And I said, but, I said, and when they wed and found a place, you know, I got them married well, first. No, I got them married, yeah. yeah. right. <laughs> no, no emus out of wedlock. <laughs> right, no, no. What would they be, emulacs or whatever? Well, um... One of the other things I enjoyed learning about you was how many different celebrities and politicians that you have interviewed over the years. And does is there one that's just top of mind that you loved? Well, oh, then you, I know there's got to be yeah, a lot. You'd of them. have to, you know. And and Scott put together Scott Smith put together this wonderful montage featuring uh, me with all of these celebrities. I, you know, I have interviewed knee-to-knee seven U.S. presidents, exclusive interviews, um, and people like—my first interview was with Pearl Bailey, uh, 
who would not talk to me unless I had taken off my jacket and coat and all because we were out in the hot sun. She said, honey, you look uncomfortable. Take all that stuff off. And then um, there are people uh, like, I interviewed Jimmy Hoffa. Really? The day after he got out of prison. I don't know where he is today if he's listening to this somewhere. I don't think anyone really does. Uh, But um, the thing is that after all of that, you know, union stuff and being locked up for all that time, he was most excited on that Christmas day that I interviewed him that he was able to arrange to get a pony for his granddaughter while he was in in prison, a, a present, a gift for his granddaughter. That was what he was most excited about. Wow. When I interviewed him. Also, uh, one of my favorite guys was Ronald Reagan, uh, who, uh, I mean, the Gipper was really fun. When I went off to interview him that day back in the uh, in the 1880s, both 1980s, <laughs> I keep saying 18, uh, my, my daughter, who was uh, a teenager at John Burroughs at the time, uh, knew that I was going to be interviewing the President of the United States one-on-one, and she wrote me a typical teen note that said, Dear Dad... Good luck with your interview with the president. Ask intelligent questions. Please do not embarrass me. Love, Jennifer. And so I showed that to the president, and he laughed at her note and uh, asked for paper, and he wrote her a note before I did the interview that said, Dear Jennifer, your dad did a great job. You can be proud of him, Ronald Reagan. Oh, that's awesome. And she held on to that note for a long, long time. And I understand you may have given Obama some good advice. Yes. Uh, you have done some homework, Mish. Yes. Look at me go. I, I think I, I got Obama elected, by the way. He, at the time <laughs> of, that he was uh, running for president, was saying that he was a good Christian. He worshiped his Jesus every Sunday. And I pulled him aside. I said, he was senator at that time. I said, the Senator, I, I got a little tip for you. You're saying you worship your Jesus every Sunday. I mean, that doesn't sound like a seven-day-a-week kind of worshiping thing. And I told him about what the evangelist Billy Sunday had said, that going to church every Sunday no more makes you a Christian than going in your garage every day makes you an automobile. I said, you ought to say you worship your Jesus every day. And after that, Mish, every time I heard the guy, I heard him say, I worship my Jesus every day. I'll be darned. And I said, I got you elected. That's so kind of cool yeah. to have advice you've given to someone like Obama yeah, be yeah. coming out of his mouth. And, and also Bill Clinton. I gave Bill Clinton a little bit of advice when I interviewed him um, and finished the interview. I said, Mr. President, I, uh, I've got to tell you, I'm the only person at my station on the air that likes you. So don't embarrass me. And he threw his head back and laughed. <laughs> and um, he then, uh, you know, four months later was the Monica Lewinsky thing. And my bosses at the time were in Dallas that owned the television station. They came through Charlie Gito's restaurant. They saw the picture of me and Bill Clinton together. And they ordered me to take the picture down. I would not take the picture down. I said, you want to make a First Amendment right thing out of this whole thing, you know? <laughs> and um I didn't take it down, and then I got a note from Bill Clinton. I have it hanging on my wall. Scott's seen it. It said, basically, Dear Julius, I heard about the picture at Charlie Gito's. Thank you for being my friend. It is times like this that a man needs a friend. That's Aww. hanging right above my desk. That's Bill awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, Julius Hunter— 
Thank yes. you for what you've done for Ms. St. Hancock, Louis. Miss Hancock, thank you for what you have done <laughs> oh, for St. Louis. I'm doing also. my best. <laughs> yeah, we're we're thanking, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to thank each other for the next ten minutes. Thank so you. Just sort thank of you. Relax. <laughs> thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you. No, but thank you. Um, it's this has been so fun getting to know you and learning. All that you've done, I mean, all that you did when you were on air all the time, and now all the the books that you've put together. Well, I also was very happy with the fact that uh, the founder of Julius K. Hunter and Friends African American Research Collection at the St. Louis County Library. I was a host for ten years of Do the Right Thing, which recognized the, the accomplishments and the achievements and the turning around of their lives of children for 10 years. I was on the backstoppers board here in St. Louis to take care of uh, the families and widows of firefighters and and police officers uh, that were wounded or injured or killed in the line of duty. And that backstoppers thing was very, and also for almost 10 years, I was host of a program uh, called Young Heroes in Music on KFUO Radio, in which we recognize the outstanding music uh, accomplishment of young African-American musicians. Very cool. Yeah. And I was a church organist and a choir master. Did you know that? I did not know that. Of uh, a little Lutheran church here in St. Louis at age 16. You know, I mean, I was teaching music. I wrote I wrote the alma mater song for Harris Stowe State University Didn't that they really? use they use to this very day. Really? Yes, everywhere I go, I sing. No, <laughs> I won't. I won't go into the singing. Well, see, so see? you have done a lot for St. Louis. Well, I hope in your so. Community. Well, I, because I love this community. I, I had the option of moving away and staying away, but I mean, there's no place like home if it is St. Louis. I love it. Yeah. Thank you for being on today. And what book would we buy if we needed to buy a book? I uh, think it is called Professor. Wait, was it? Do you call yourself Professor K Hunter, or how do you do professor it? Professor Julius, Julius K Hunter. I'm I'm not a real professor. I just played one every night. But and I again. like it. You look like a professor. Well, you could be you. a professor. But I don't look like a tenured professor. Probably I don't know. Tenured professors are sometimes a little more craggy. But anyway, the book is called Professor Julius K Hunter: Stuff You Never Knew About St. Louis History. You can order it online. I mean, go on Amazon and order a book. I understand that if you order it today, it'll be at your house in three days. Oh, yeah. These days, drone will show up with Uh, it. Really fast. (laughs) It's really fast. All right. Well, thank you, Julius Hunter, for being on today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Didn't we do the thank you bit, or do we do the thank you bit again? I think we can just say thank you for a long time, and everybody's cool with that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you, thank you, Scott, for being here to to hear us say thank you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And to all of the people in your audience. Yes. Thank you, audience. Yes, We're just thankful. I'm thankful to be alive as opposed to the alternative, and uh, I'm also thankful to, to have met you, Mish. I mean, you've been a bright light in my life for about three months now. Or yes, so, see, we're like together. old friends now. I mean, everybody in St. I mean, I didn't ask you where you, or did I ask you where you went to high school? That's I that told you, St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, yeah, but no longer did. there. Yeah, but I'm just saying that that's that. That's our St. Louis thing. The code thing of saying where'd you go to high school? Where'd you go to high school? Yeah, that's uh, right. All right, sir. Thank you. Is this the Thank end? You. Thank is you. Is this the end Thank of the you. program? <laughs> this is the end of the program. Okay. Can I end it? Yes. Do you have one last tidbit you need to share with us? Oh, no. Uh, where can I go for lunch? No, that's another. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you with that, too. <laughs> okay. Great. It's been it's been a joy to be with you today. And uh, I think, we, I hope we've uplifted some lives and given people a little bit of a chuckle because 
We need to do that. We need it. We need it. That's the kindness. That's the kindness. All right. right. Everyone out there, you've been listening to Mishmash Podcast. Go off, be kind, be loving, be good people. Thank you.